So it's a balmy summer's day. I love that it's always balmy. It's always summer in Canberra. No, it's not. In the afternoon in the winter, it feels kind of summery. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Unless it's a really, really cold day and then it doesn't. All right, so it's a balmy summer afternoon and my boss comes screaming into the office going, oh my God, you know, the effings and the blindings were so blue. Right. He was swearing so much. Oh my gosh. That even the retired Navy and Air Force guys that were working on the archives and newspapers, even they were like going, please, for friend, how dare you? Right. <laughs> it was, it, the language was foul. And yep. I was like, I, of course, walked up and said, look, What's the problem? And he went, Hilton. And okay. I went, well, and he went, the Hilton bombing. And I went, what? And I went, we've been subpoenaed. They want everything. And my first thought was, oh, my God, is there a secret? And I went, oh, my God, is there a secret? <laughs> to which he went, no, do you know how much shit we have on the Hilton bombing? And I just went, no. And he showed me the file stacks of all the right. stuff Azio had on the Hilton bombing. And I thought, we've got to go through this. We are screwed. Because the Hilton bombing was huge. You're listening to I Spied, the garbage truck of Australian intelligence. You want me to empty this one? Just leave it, mate. All right. All right. All right. All right. And welcome to I Spied. My name is Michelle Stevenson. I'm with David Callan, and we are talking Hilton bombing. Hilton bombing, and it's a really it's it was one of those things we were very aware of it. I was aware of it as a child. I remember when it happened. Yep. Right, yep. so it was 1978, 13th of February at 12:40 a.m. A bomb went off outside the Hilton Hotel in George Street, Sydney. Right, ASIO was in, implicated. There was lots of stuff going on at the time, but essentially, what happened was there was a bomb in a garbage bin. Yeah. Two garbos, or three garbos to be technical, there was a driver and the two garbos mm-hmm. hanging off the back of the truck, pulled up, one of the guys picked up the bin, tapped it into the back of the truck, and it exploded. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, let's not muck around. Three people died. Those three people were Alec Carter and William Favell, who were the two garbos hanging mm-hmm. off the back. And then later on, one of the police officers that were there, Paul Burmistry, who he died of injuries uh, a little while later. So it was a pretty hectic bomb. 11 people injured as well. Oh, my gosh. And this, in the building at the time, Chogram was being held, the Commonwealth Heads of Government Regional Meeting. Right. So everybody in the Asia-Pacific region. So we had Sri Lanka, Pakistan, India. Keep that in mind. India, it's important. Right. Uh, Australia, New Zealand. I think Canada might have been there. Can't really remember. But there were all of these government prime ministers, not just flunkies, the actual prime ministers of all these nations were staying at the Hilton at the time. So there were police everywhere, right? It was a big deal. The difference being it's 1978. Right. Right. Now, remember last week we talked about Yugoslav terrorism and how ASIO really weren't geared for it? ASIO still weren't really geared for terrorism at the time. ASIO were really there to go, look, this is the threat assessment and Mm. there's probably not much to worry about. And at the time, in 1978, there probably wasn't that much to worry about because Australia was regarded as a fairly quiet little backwater on the global picture. So anyway, what happens was this bomb goes off, these people get killed and literally hell breaks loose with conspiracy theories. So many conspiracy theories. I've been researching this one. It was one of those ones where I went, ah, I could have a look overnight and then it was like, no, I really need to sit down. And and even if you get past all the conspiracy theories, it's quite – 
confusing. Like yeah. who did what and yeah. who was where yeah. and what, who was involved. Yeah. And most of the, a lot of the conspiracy theories revolve around the the New South Wales Police Force. The Special Branch. Yes. Right. Now, uh, one of the big things about that was special branches around the country were being looked at quite hard. Yes. In fact, the South Australian government had just recently disbanded the Special Branch because the Special Branch, they really were a power unto themselves. Yeah. Right. And- New South Wales Special Branch particularly had a pretty bad reputation. So one of the conspiracy theories was that the Special Branch actually did this to kind of protect themselves. Right. Which I always think, really, setting a bomb off is not a great way to protect yourself, particularly if it's actually killing people. Well, I mean, that's a, it goes back to like the whole September 11th Americans yeah, doing right. it. It's like why I don't know any government agency that would kill people to protect themselves. Well, there is that whole idea of the false flag operation. And false flag operations are, you know, there are records of people doing things. Uh, I mean, the great false flag that people talk about is the fact that um, Roosevelt knew that Pearl Harbor was going to happen, mm. but decided to let it happen because he wanted Pearl Harbor to happen to, like, go Generate. the Americans yeah. into war. Yeah. He needed to get them into the war and that was the best way to do it. Personally, there's no record of it. It Again, I can't imagine a president going, yeah, I'm going to let my entire Pacific yes. fleet get destroyed. No. Because that'll make everyone sort of like get involved. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. So a couple of things that happened. There was a lot of controversy about the bomb itself, how it got there. Right, because there were police officers around this hotel the entire time. ASIO had done a threat assessment. They'd said, you need to put police officers out there to make sure they aren't disturbed mm. in the hotel. All makes perfect sense. But it's George Street, Sydney. Yeah, and I'm at, at any moment someone can chuck something into a garbage bin. Yeah, and that was the big thing was how did they put a bomb, and it was a big bomb, it wasn't a small one, how did they put a bomb in the bin? But as one person, uh, Luttrell, who's a director who made a documentary about it or wrote a book about it, basically said that, well, there was a placard sitting in the bin from a demonstration the day before, right? So, And the bins hadn't been emptied. That was the other controversy. Why weren't the bins emptied? Obviously, someone had planted a bomb yes. and didn't want it taken out. Interestingly enough, the garbage truck drivers that were meant to pick up the stuff were being waved away by the police. Well, yes, and I heard, and one, one garbage truck driver that was meant to actually pick up actually didn't because yep. he didn't want to hold up traffic. Well, he had the Singaporean Prime Minister, I think, behind him. And also, it's not a good look when you're welcoming a visiting dignitary yes. to have a bloke with a cigarette. And you got the garbo there yeah. just pulling out the garbage. Wearing garbage. a blue singlet and a jacket hair going, how's it going, mate? Sorry about that. Yeah. Basically, it was a case of this is something that got over. I personally believe it was something that got overlooked. So I think the interesting point, there's garbage trucks that clearly didn't p do the pickup when they were mm -hmm. meant to. Mm -hmm. So- the, when was this bomb meant to go off? Uh-huh. That's a really, really good question because no one's really sure. Yeah. But there's a couple of other factors we've got to have in it. Uh, one, the sniffer dogs have been called off. Right. That's another thing that's meant to go, oh, my God, there must be a conspiracy theory here. Why weren't the sniffer dogs around? Well, what would have happened was the sniffer dogs would have done their pass. They didn't find anything. Move on. Yeah. And then someone dropped a bomb in there. Now, nowadays, you would have sniffer dogs there all the time. Yes, 24-7. Like, look, if you look at Chogram as being the same as the ASEAN, I think it was the ASEAN meeting we had in Sydney, mm. the one that was famously cracked by the chaser. Yes. Right? Remember, that had, their security was that you were literally held out of the city entirely, right? We didn't do that in the 70s. We just sort of went, yeah, look, sorry, don't pick up the garbage and let the Prime Minister pull up at the curb and hop out of the car. Yeah. Now he would be driven into the garage and go up in a lift, right? 
The bins weren't supposedly searched. One guy, William Reeve Parker, claimed he spoke to an army officer who said he planted the bomb. And then when he was asked, oh, what was the name of the army officer? Oh, I don't remember his name, but he did a lot of work with my son. Right. Right. Which makes me go, hang on, you know, he's not his son who was in the army, his son who was a child. Now, if you've got somebody who's doing a lot of work with your son, you're going to know their name. Yes. You just are. So, again, that's a really strange one. A CSIRO scientist said that ASIO pressured him to make two bombs a week before the bombing, which implied that ASIO was involved. Yes, I heard ASIO were involved. Uh, There was another one that someone said the CIA did it to show that Australian security intelligence was useless and they needed to lift their game. Again, why? Why would you do this? Finally, the bomb was planted by the Australian government itself to uh, justify further spending on intelligence and counterterrorism. The problem with all of these is over all of these years Mm. since it, and it's been 78, nearly 40 years, why is it taking you so long to do that math? Because I'm, so, I'm really bad at maths. I am so crap I'm at like maths. I'm like watching you work really hard 20, 20, to work 40, that out. 43 years. Yeah. Right, 43 years since it happened. I'm so bad at maths. Yes. That's why I'm an actor because um, I couldn't do science because I don't have the math for it. <laughs> Basically, 43 years. In yeah. 43 years, nothing has come up. There's been nothing but to justify any of these there, conspiracies. Is there a cold case? Like, have they closed the case on this? <sighs> because di- didn't they, wasn't someone charged? Aha! Now we get into the exciting part of the, yes. the program. Right. Who did it? Who done it? Right. The who done it part. The who done it part. Yep. Now, the interesting thing was, as soon as it happened, a, mm. a police informant says, I can help. I'll help you out. This guy was named Richard John Seary. Right. Uh, he was a police informant. Yep. And he said, I, 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 let me help. I'm sure I can help you crack the case. He said, I think Ananda Marga might have something to do with it. Now, the name, Ananda Marga was this Indian sect, okay, that, uh, you know, they, they were, their leader had been imprisoned by the Indian Prime Minister. Yes. Uh, For multiple murders or des- something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the Ananda Marga were attacking the Indian government yes. around the world. Now, interestingly enough, every time the Ananda Marga attacked the Indian government, a guy by the name of Abhik Kumar was in that country. Right? right. And he happened to arrive in Australia about a week before the bombing. So Ananda Marga were definitely in the frame for this. But the um, Siri also said, oh, look, I'm a Hare Krishna and it might have been the Krishnas, which makes you go... Really? I mean, uh, they are odd, but I don't know if they're building bombs. They're not the bombing kind. No. I mean, they they, don't they make bracelets, yeah, don't they? Yeah, uh, they annoy you at the airport. <laughs> yeah. um, that was really basically it. So Siri gets involved and then he says, look, there's these guys I think that are making a bomb. Yep. They probably did it. The police go and arrest three guys. Now, the three guys are Tim Anderson, big mm-hmm. name, remember that, Paul Alistair and Ross Dunn. Yep. They're arrested in Yaguna. And they got a bomb in the car. Why does everything happen in Yaguna? Oh, no, that's Yapoon. Yapoon. Yapoon or Yaguna? <laughs> Anything starting with a Y. If you live in somewhere starting with a Y, get out. It's yeah, full of terrorists. Yeah. So they get arrested in Yaguna, but they had this bomb and they were going to blow up an ultra-right winger by the name of Robert Cameron. Oh, what a very right-wing name. Yes. Robert Cameron. Right. So they're going to blow this guy up. They get arrested. They get charged for that. And then they get convicted for attempted murder or conspiracy to commit murder. Right. Right. So here we are. These guys have been in the frame, but they also had to go to the coronial inquest. Mm. In 1982, a coronial inquest was held, and that's when everything went pear-shaped. And this is, again, this is really fed into all of these conspiracies because what happened was there was no evidence from the bomb site. They just took the truck and all the refuse from the truck 
and chucked it in a dump. Right. Not remembering where they chucked it. So when forensics went, where's the truck and the evidence? They went, oh, we got rid of it. So it's like, hang on, you've now destroyed evidence. So there was that problem. But then every time either side, either the prosecuting, well, not the prosecuting, but, you know, you had witnesses. That, so the DPP and then mm. the person who's looking after Tim Anderson at Isle, every time they asked to get a hold of evidence, they were blocked by the coroner. The coroner just went, no, nah, not interested, move on. So and this is into the coronial inquest into the Hilton bombing. Into the Hilton bombing. Right. And right. then also, from what I read, that there were a lot of the conspiracy theories were being thrown around. A lot of conspiracy theories were being thrown but around. But they could have easily have been debunked, but they weren't. Yes, exactly. So all of these different conspiracy theories. Now, there was one really, really important thing that freaked people out, which was the war morning phone call. Now at 12:32, supposedly, mm. allegedly, at 12:32, someone rang the New South Wales police and asked to be put through to special branch. Right. Of course, at 12:32 there is no one in special branch, so they put them through to the CIB. The CIB got a message from a person saying there was a bomb in the bin outside the Hilton Hotel at 12:32. The bomb detonated at 12:40. Right. Right. So what happened in that 8 minutes? Yeah. Exactly. Now, everyone's going, oh, hang on. Now, here's the thing. Information travels really, really slowly. Yeah. Right? So even if the phone call came in at 12.32, even if somebody jumped on a radio and started squawking it out, it's still going to take time to permeate down. Yeah. Right. The other thing was as soon as they, as someone said, look, I saw this, the login sheet, because all of these phone calls get logged in. If you mm. ring the police, they log that phone call. The login sheet was there were four login sheets and all of them said 1240. Now, here's a question. Why were there four? Why were there four login sheets? What happened to the 1232 login sheet? There were police officers saying, no, I saw a 1232 login time, but now it's been moved to 1240, the time of the detonation. Well, they're probably trying to cover their ass in terms of how long it took for them to... Jump yeah. in. Right. And we're now we're beginning to, I think we're beginning to uncover what really happened, yeah. what the real conspiracy is. And it comes down to that thing I said is there's no conspiracy, there's just a due lack of care. Yeah. Somebody might have got the phone call and gone, oh, get Jessica, get this. Someone says there's a bomb at the hill. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Boom, it goes off eight minutes later. And that and guy's like, gone, Fuck. can we just change that? <laughs> just get a rubber? Can we just yes. take the two and make it a zero and the three a four and Does thank anyone you? anyone have any whiteout? It's like, <laughs> right, it's, it's a, it is a, actually a huge problem. Right? Yeah. If that is the case, that's a massive screw-up. Yeah. Right? Now, Ross Dunn, Paul McAllister and um, Tim Anderson, they're convicted. So four months after the bombing, they're mm. convicted, but not for the bombing. They're convicted for this conspiracy to commit murder of the ultra-right-winger. Yep. I love the way ultra-right-wing always pops up. In 1984, they were pardoned by Justice Woods under appeal. So they went to an appeal and basically Justice Woods turned around and went, and this is the same guy who did the Royal Commission into ASIO yep. as well. He basically turned around and said, look, the evidence is so badly like the arguments by the prosecutor were so badly done, evidence was mishandled, this is wrong, basically this does not work, you can't keep them in here, they're gone, they're pardoned yep. and they're out. And not only were they pardoned after they were released, they then, because they've been locked away for four years, they then got, well, two years, they then got Compensated quite well by the Australian government. They had to be compensated for being wrongly imprisoned. But, like, during their trial, there were many opportunities to debunk a lot of the 
the premise yep. that they actually did it. And yep. it and it never like even basic things like looking at pictures that were had run in the paper. Yes. And that never happened. So it's just incredible how a miscarriage of justice can easily have happened. Yes. There's a another example that was brought up was the fact that the bomb squad were on standby at Victoria Barracks in Paddington on the night of the bombing. Now, and everyone's like, oh, why would you have the bomb squad there if you didn't have a bomb? Well, you'd have the bomb squad there because you have the prime ministers of about five nations sitting in a hotel. And if a bomb is found, you want the bomb squad kind of close. Yeah. You want them next door? Yeah. Right. In Paddington is probably good because they'd have a big truck and you can't leave that on George Street because, and as I said, George Street is not like then, was not like George Street now. George Street now- There were people on it? <laughs> yeah. George Street now is a wasteland with yeah. a train running through the middle of it. A very, which is, I don't mind the light rail in Sydney. It's it's okay. I use it often. It's a good thing we took it all out and put it back in though. It's really good that we did that. Yeah. I just, just for, wanted to test out. Yeah, how, take how it all out and then yeah. put it all back in at, at a million times cost. Yeah, and make it slower than the buses. Anyway, I digress. Anyway, we have digressed because now we leap forward to 1989. 1999, now at this point I was working at Asia, and a young gentleman by the name of Evan Pederick. Evan Pederick. Evan Pederick confesses to doing it. Right. He confesses. Now, he confesses because Tim Anderson was then accused of the – had been accused of the Hilton bombing the day before. Now, he was accused on the information garnered from one Ray Denning. Ray Denning was uh, an armed robber mm-hmm. and a renowned escapologist. Right. Now, this guy, had he was the only man who ever broke out of Grafton Jail. And Grafton Jail was the worst jail in Australia. Right. And he managed to crack it. He managed to get out. Now, I personally think that Denning is a grass. He's yep. a, like, he was a grass, all right? And he basically thought, if I grass this guy up, because the whole thing was, yeah, he told me in the cell overnight. Yeah. Okay, I, you know, who are you? I'm Raymond Denning. I'm an armed robber and escapologist. Well, let me tell you about how I blew up the Hilton you know, yeah, Hotel. Yeah, yeah. So basically he got convicted on that and he was sentenced for the murder of three people. Okay. Right, right. So Tim Anderson is grassed up and Evan Pedrick then confesses. Straight afterwards, you know, racked with guilt, goes to a priest, confesses to a priest and then uh, surrenders himself to the police in Brisbane. And then his whole testimony was just full of holes. Right. So his big thing was I was standing across the street uh, ready to detonate the bomb. There's a clue. He said he was going to detonate it remotely. How? We don't know because there's no remnant of the bomb left. No one bothered to pick up the pieces. Essentially, he stood there and he said, you know, he was across the road as the Indian Prime Minister was arriving and Malcolm Fraser was standing on the footpath waiting for him, you know, waiting to greet him and I was going to detonate it. They have footage of Fraser standing on the curb waiting for Desai to arrive. There's no sign of anyone on the other side of the street. Yeah. Essentially. Okay. So it's like there were massive holes. And then someone said, well, maybe he thought it was the Sri Lankan Prime Minister that was arriving and he got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, Jayawardna. Yeah. Prime Minister Jayawardna. And actually, that in the appeal was one of the reasons why Anderson was quashed. And now we've got up to 1991, where my boss is running around going, well, I'm going to find all this stuff and this. And tons of it, tons of paper, and it's all press clippings. It's almost all So press who clippings. had jurisdiction over the bombing? Uh, right, here we go. Again, 1978. Yeah. ASIO Act doesn't come in until 1979. No. So ASIO actually have no responsibility. Their responsibility is to go, this is our security mm. threat assessment. Now, did they know that 
Abik Kumar, the mastermind bomb maker and terrorist type guy, was there. Was there. Maybe. Yeah. They might have. Who knows? The interesting thing was there had been attacks on Indian people or Indian assets, as you'd call them, previously. So in 1977, the military attaché in Canberra and his wife were attacked in Canberra. About a month later, an Air India employee was stabbed in Melbourne. Right. So there was obviously activity going on. And Ananda Marga were in the frame. Yeah. They were definitely in the frame because Sri Sri Ananda Murthy, their leader, was locked away in India and they wanted him released. Yes, and from what I have read, every time they committed an act of terrorism, they pretended they didn't do it. Yeah, um, which is very common. Uh, like, yeah, as soon as someone had got attacked... Well, unless you're like... You know, Osama bin Laden. <laughs> well, yeah, Osama bin Laden or ISIS. Or, you like to say, I did it. It was us. Boko Haram. It was us. Sometimes, they, I mean, the, the flip of that is the number of times people claim it and it's I know. not theirs. But sometimes, like, the interesting thing, I think, with Ananda Marga was they were a peaceful Basically, the sector yes, was quite peaceful. which was quite interesting. So there was this hardcore militant yep. section or portion of the them that, you know, the peaceful part didn't even know about. Yes. Now, that's the other thing is, like, you know, left hand doesn't know what right hand yes. is doing. And that's, again, that is also very common. You can have extremist movements within yep. a, a larger movement. Now, the interesting thing about that was, again, when people go, well, how did Nazio know? Well, it's all cellular. We call it you know, like terrorism and intelligence. We call it cellular, mm. right? So you silo it. This part is over here and it doesn't contact anything else. You might have one person that is your contact point, but essentially you keep that isolated so people don't know, so people don't find out. Mm. That's the very, very simple way of doing it, all right? So the fact that these guys like Anderson and his mates wanted to blow up the ultra-right winger. Well, the reason was that there was nothing to say that they weren't going to do that. The problem was the conviction was flawed. It was a tainted conviction. Yep. And because it was tainted because of the evidence used, boom, immediately we can't do it. Right? Some people still believe that Tim Anderson did it. Right, They believe he was recruited by Kumar and he planted the bomb. Now, he's been acquitted and pardoned. Well, he's been pardoned for one and he's been acquitted of the other. But... Because of the evidence and because it's tainted and because the evidence wasn't presented, half the time it wasn't presented, a lot of people that should have testified didn't or weren't allowed to. Mm. It's the first time ever in the history of the New South Wales Parliament, I think it was in 1991 or 1992, where the entire parliament, both houses, voted unanimously to have a, a federal inquiry into the Hilton bombing. They've done it twice. Yep. So two times, the only two times that the entire parliament has voted unanimously Mm. is for an inquiry into the Hilton bombing. Both times, the governments of the day have rejected it outright. Yep. All right. Personally, I think that what really went wrong was people dropped the ball. Yeah. That's the bottom line. It was just, I mean, one- we weren't counterterrorism focused. We were espionage focused. ASIO in particular, they were still very, very espionage focused. There was one great theory I loved, which was the government did it. They they would have planted the bomb themselves, mm. you know, put it in the bin so they could run to the rescue and go, ha-ha, look at us, we're so good, in front of the world because yeah. the world was watching Australia because we had uh, Southeast Asia and the Pacific region in our country at the time, the leaders of these nations. Well, you know what? If that's the case- well, more for us because we knew the bomb was there and we didn't do anything about it. We didn't stop it, right? So, A, that's a massive, massive problem. Yeah. Right? Now, I don't believe that's the point because you know, if you did do that and this happened, asses are going to get fried or 
you know, cover-ups are going to be covered. Yeah. I think the real problem was it was a massive oversight. I think I really think the New South Wales police probably dropped the ball. Uh, love you guys, but you know, going back to this, it just looks like some balls were dropped. It was also an era where the New South Wales police were knee deep in corruption. Oh, they were. A there was a, a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Like the seventies, they were rife. King's Cross. All of the stuff that was going on at that time, we, we weren't a very trustworthy police force. Well, we, I mean, New South Wales has had a problem with corruption since 1788. And I think it comes down to that idea that if there is a conspiracy, conspiracies don't last long. All right, secrets can't be held forever. The, the classic thing about the conspiracy, mm. you know, the, the whole thing of, as we've said before, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. That was the biggest secret in the world at the time. Within two years, it was everybody knew about it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Secrets are really hard to hold. Yeah. Right? And consp- conspiracy theories are even harder because so many people are involved. But also, when we look back on it, it's been disproven. All of these have been disproven. Everything's been debunked. Yes. Right? The big problem was things like the garbage bins. Uh, I feel very sorry for one police officer who was injured at the scene, Terry Griffiths, because he really feels. But it. it literally has destroyed his life. Yeah. Right? And the problem is he wants answers, as we all do, but the problem is sometimes the answer is we screwed up. Yes. It's just a massive screw-up. But here's the big question. How did the bomb get in the bin to this day? No one knows. See, that's why why it's good that we have CCTV now. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) We've got eyes everywhere. Eyes everywhere. I'm looking at yours. Speaking of eyes. Can you stop looking at me? It's weird. <laughs> I know. I'll switch the camera off now. Okay. Okay.